Please be seated. Well, it is good to see everybody here this morning, and we do have a number of visitors with us. Lots of folks that are here visiting with their mothers. Uh, I can tell you that over the 30 plus years that I've been here, uh, that the demographics of the congregation has changed a little bit. Uh, back in the day, Mother's Day rivaled Easter as far as attendance. Uh, but now I guess more of our people have to go off to visit their mothers. And so uh, not as many people come in as did in days past. But if you are visiting with us, if you're here to visit your mother, we are certainly glad to have you uh, with us today. A little weird experience for my family. Uh, My wife, my daughter, and my two granddaughters have gone to spend Mother's Days with my mother. And so that means that I get to spend Mother's Day with my mother-in-law. I'm not even going to go there, okay? Some of you are thinking, but my mother-in-law is wonderful. And so I am glad to be able to spend today with her. My father-in-law, that's a whole other story. (laughs) Last week, we began a a, uh, series of lessons in the book of Hebrews. And again, those of you that have been here 11 years... Uh, you'll know that we did Hebrews about 11 years ago, uh, but we're going and approaching it from a little different angle this week or this time around. The letter to the Hebrews is a letter of encouragement. And we talked last week how that the writer was, was writing to a group of people who, who many of whom apparently were on the verge of giving up their Christianity. Uh, they, they'd come to Christ. Uh, they'd followed Christ, they'd made changes in their lives, and for some reason now, all of that was beginning to add up. And they were beginning to get discouraged. And they were beginning to decide, you know, this may not really be worth it, and I think I'm going to give it up. He talks in there about, about many who had already given up. But it's about staying with it. And we talked that specifically he's writing to to Jewish Christians, those who had come out of Judaism, those who were familiar with the old law and knew it, and were tempted to give up on the Christianity side of it and go back to the old law and the Jewish side of it and just really forget the part that had to do with Jesus. You know, we were comfortable back under the old law. We understood that. It made sense to us. That's how we were brought up. That's our tradition. This Jesus stuff, this Christianity stuff, it's so weird. It's so different and it's getting us in a lot of trouble and there's some persecution that's coming. So I think I'll just go back to where I'm more comfortable. Now, as we mentioned last week as well, my guess is there's not a single person in this room this morning who is tempted to go back to Judaism. I don't know that there's a single person in here who came out of Judaism. So I don't think that that is a, uh, uh, something that we have to be worried about. However, we have come out of our old lives. And the world is out there and Satan is out there trying to draw us back, draw us into the world. And that very well might be something we are concerned about. It may be something that you're tempted with. Maybe you came to Christ 
and you, you understood all the good things that were found in Christ, but, but all of a sudden it became difficult. Parts of your family didn't understand and started to persecute you. Friends started to ask why you were being, acting so weird and why you don't do the same things you used to do. Other problems didn't get resolved like you thought they were going to get resolved. And so, so you might be tempted to say, you know, I gave it a try, but I think I'm going to give up. I think I'm just going to go ahead and, and go back to what I had before. It's what I'm comfortable with. Now we said that our key verse is chapter three, excuse, yeah, chapter three verses 13 and 14. And I gave you a challenge to memorize these two verses. But this is the key verse as it is a letter of encouragement. He says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. Now, if you're using a different translation, the King James, Charlie was quoting it out of the King James Wednesday night. You may have the ESV or, or RSV or whatever V you have. You know, you may be quoting it out of that, but I encourage you to memorize this verse. And you say, ah, why do we need to memorize it? Uh, for a couple reasons. If we memorize it, that means we are studying it. I don't know about you. I'm not Charlie Thompson. And, and the older I get, the less I'm like Charlie Thompson. I can't memorize anything. And so if I'm going to memorize something, I'm going to have to go over it and over it and over it and over it. This past week, I had to get recertified in first aid and CPR. And one of the things, the, the first aid part was done for the most part online. And they had this interactive part to it where you had to go, you know, and, and click all these buttons and things like that. But, you know, Red Cross and, and medical people, you know, they are all about anacronyms, right? Isn't, isn't that where you have a word and then each letter of that word stands for something else? I'm taking that course, about a two-hour online course, and they must have thrown 10 different anacronyms at me. You know, here's an anacronym for when you show up to the scene. Here's an anacronym if something not, somebody's not breathing, this is what you do. Here's an anacronym if somebody's having a stroke, this is what you do. I couldn't remember it all. It was, it was too much. I think I would have been better off just memorizing the steps and not trying to memorize the stupid words that went with the steps. When I was in college, we had a guy come to give us a, a memory test. Uh, not a memory test, a memory class. And the deal was, he was re- about lists and things like that. And he had all these uh, uh, memorization tools and hooks and all these different things. But my thought was, you know, by the time I memorized all these tools and hooks, I could have memorized whatever it was I was trying to memorize. But memorize this verse because if you memorize it, you have to study it. And if you're like me, if you're going to keep it fresh, I might be able to memorize it to quote it to you right now. But 15 minutes from now, I can't. So if I'm going to keep it in my mind, I'm going to have to keep memorizing it. Keep studying it. And two things that that will do is, one, it will help me to be encouraged. Because this is a verse of encouragement. And the other thing that it will do, it will help me 
remind myself to encourage you. Because that's what this is all about. We looked at three kind of themes in Hebrews. Three ways that the writer is going to encourage these people. First of all, he's going to say, in Christ, everything is better. It's better. We're going to start with that this morning. And then he's going to say, another way we encourage each other is to encourage each other. Thirteen times at least, he says, let us. You can go in there and count how many times it says one another, each other, all those different things. The responsibility we have to encourage each other. And then the third way he encourages us is with warnings. We already saw that in our key verse. We have come to share in Christ if, if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had in the beginning. If. I can't tell you, I haven't counted them. I'm going to eventually, but how many if statements there are in the book of Hebrews? Oh, this is what we had to look forward to. These are the blessings we have in Christ if, if we hold firmly to the end, if we hold on, if we don't uh, drift away. And so these are the, the kind of introduction that we had last week. Beginning in chapter one and verse one. That's where our lesson comes from this morning. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So the writer gets into it almost immediately. What was the the first theme we kind of had in Hebrews? In Christ, things are better. Things are superior. Things are greater, depending on the translation that you're using. And right away, the, re- the writer says, in Christ, we have a better speaker. We have better words. He basically says, Jesus is better, more superior. I don't know if you can say more superior, but anyway, I am. More superior? Superior? No, you wouldn't say that is superior to the prophets. Now, the prophets were great. The prophets were important. But Jesus is better. You see, before Jesus came, there had been a 400-year silence from God. God concludes the Old Testament with Malachi, you know, coming and prophesying about things that were to come. And then he was silent. For 400 years. And then he speaks with a boom. He doesn't send a prophet. He sends his own son. Listening to Jesus is even better than listening to the prophets. Now we understand that the prophets were important. They were God's spokesmen. I was teaching young people and we were were talking about prophets. And most of us, a lot of times, we get in the idea that prophets were primarily foretellers. 
You know, we think about the prophecies concerning the Messiah and concerning Jesus and all these things. And that the prophets were foretelling the future. That was actually a very minor part of their ministry. Mainly the prophets were forth tellers, preachers. They came about preaching righteousness and holiness and repentance and judgment. Now, every now and then, they would throw in prophecy about things that were to come. But mainly they were trying to encourage the people, be God's spokesman to the people. Who do you listen to on matters of importance? Family? Friends? Society? The media? Religious leaders? Or like most of us, Our own voice. The writer here is saying that Jesus' words are better. Jesus is superior to the prophets. And even while all God's word is inspired and useful, he's not taking exception with that. The writer tells us why Jesus' words are even better. And first of all, he says, Jesus' words are better or superior because of who he is. The prophets were good, but they were not God's son. They were not God himself. The exact representation, the writer says, of God. You remember in John chapter 1, in verse 1, John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And I don't think it's an accident that the Holy Spirit inspired John to use that word logos, that use that word to use the word word. Because Jesus was the living word of God. The prophets were important. The prophets were good. But Jesus was God's own son. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. And before them, he is transfigured. And coming to be with Jesus is Elijah and Moses. And Peter apparently had been kind of dozing off or whatever. And he kind of came to and he realizes that, whoa, this is incredible. Here is Jesus, but... Beyond Jesus is Moses and Elijah. And you kind of get the idea. I'm maybe putting a little into it, but I don't think so. You kind of get the idea that Peter was over the top impressed with the fact that Moses and Elijah were there. Now, I've asked you this before. Were they wearing name tags? How did he know it was Moses and Elijah? I don't know, but he did. Okay, you can get back to me on that if you want to. But he sees them there and he, and you know, Peter, he's got to do or say something. And so he says, Lord, do you want us to build three tabernacles? Do you want us to build three tents? Implication being, let's build you a tent and a tent for Elijah and a tent for Moses. Because this is too cool to pass up. You almost get the idea he was asking them for their autographs. But anyway. And all of a sudden, the voice from heaven 
came down and said, This is my son. Listen to him. Peter was impressed with Moses and Elijah. Maybe it's because he'd been too familiar with Jesus. He'd been, you know, almost three years with Jesus. And Jesus was, you know, Jesus was kind of natural to him. But Moses and Elijah. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be that impressed with Moses and Elijah. This is my son. Listen to him. Now, God wasn't saying that what Moses and Elijah did wasn't important. God didn't say what Moses and Elijah said wasn't authoritative. Because when Moses gave the law, God gave it to him. So that's not what he's saying. When the prophets, when Elijah and the other prophets prophesied, it was coming from God. So he's not saying that, but he's saying as a person, as the person of authority, you listen to my son. He is the creator Who knows better the creation and what is best for them than than the creator? Jesus or the crowds recognized that Jesus was the one who spoke with authority, not like their teachers. Remember that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people were amazed. Because he taught with authority. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they taught with authority too. But that authority came from What they were teaching. Jesus' authority came from who he was. And they recognized there's something different about him. He's coming from a whole different place than the people we are used to. You know, if you want to go to somebody, if you have a problem, you need some advice, you need some help, you're going to go to somebody that you know has some kind of authority on that matter. If I have a finance question, I'm going to go to my dad. He's one of the smartest people I know as far as business and finance and accounting and and investing and all that kind of stuff. That's the person I'm going to go to because I, I trust him. I know he has authority in matters like that. If I want to fix something, I ain't going to my dad. Bless his heart. Some of you people wonder how I can be so ignorant about fixing things. It's heredity. My dad's the only person I know that has a toolbox. And all the tools are still connected to the piece of cardboard with the little zip tie around it. Really nice tools. But never been used. If I want to fix something, I'm going to go to my father-in-law. I may not go to him for financial advice, but I'm going to go to him for, to fix something. Because he's got tools too, but you know what? They're all beat up. And they're greasy. And you can tell they've been used. He knows what he's doing. When it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to our souls... We're not going to find the answer out there in the world. We're not going to find the answer out there from, quote, religious leaders. 
You're not going to find the answer from your preacher. Now, he may lead you to the way, but you're going to find the answer from Jesus, God's son. After many had deserted him, Jesus asked the disciples, he said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and know that you are the Holy One sent from God. Why would we go somewhere else, Peter said. You're the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. All of those voices out there, all of those voices trying to give us advice, we've got to listen to Jesus. Because he is God's son. Secondly, listening to Jesus is better because of how he lived. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Move down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love that. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. In chapters 2 and 4 of Hebrews, the writer will go into much more depth on how Jesus became like us. And why he became like us. And why he took on our weaknesses. We'll talk about that. Why he had to become like his brothers. Why he had to become flesh and blood. We'll talk about that and how he became our high priest. But he didn't just come so he could sympathize with us. Now that was one of the purposes. He came to sympathize with us so that, so that God himself could really understand when we struggle. God himself can really understand when we're sorrowful, when we're going through trials, when we're being tempted. God himself can sympathize with us. But beyond that, he came to show us the way. Told you this before, right? You can tell me how to do something. But if you show me how to do it. If you show me how to do it. I'm a lot more likely to remember that. And be able to follow that example. We, my wife decided that we needed to have one of those... Uh, playground things in our backyard for the granddaughters. This thing was delivered in five huge boxes on pallets to my house. The instruction manual was this thick. I'm not kidding you. It was this thick. Now, granted, half of it was in French, but anyway. And the other half might as well have been in French. But now, I know from what I understand that I could have gone to YouTube. And I could have found somebody showing me how to put it together. I promise you that would have been a whole lot better than me reading that instruction manual now what happened was in case you're wondering I know you don't care 
But there were supposed to be all these bags of the nuts and bolts and hardware and all that kind of stuff, you know, and everything's labeled. Luckily, luckily, it was step one. Step one, two of the bags of the hardware I needed weren't there. So I call, well, I don't want to mention Sam's name. Oops, I did. Uh, so I called Sam and said, can I just bring the hardware stuff back and steal the hardware out of one of the ones you, oh yeah, sure. Drive all the way down there. Oh, they don't have any more in stock. So I called the manufacturer and I said, I'm missing these bags of the hardware. They say, okay, it'll be there in, you know, a week to 10 days. Sure enough, I get a box, open it up. Not any of the stuff I had ordered. So we took it all back to Sam's. And my grandchildren do not have a playground in our backyard. I didn't have a playground. They can play in the dirt. But Jesus didn't come to just sympathize with us, but to show us the way. He lived a perfect, sinless, completely holy life as an example for us to follow in his footsteps. I've used this analogy before, but if you have to walk through a minefield, do you want to follow in the footsteps of the person that made it all the way across the minefield? Or the person who only made it halfway? I want to follow in the footsteps of the person who made it all the way. Jesus lived this life sinlessly, perfectly. It is his footsteps that I want to follow in. One thing to listen to others about how to recover after sinning or, or whatever. And there may be a time and a place and a purpose for that. But if I want to know how to avoid sin, if I want to know how to get, get past it, then I want to be, follow somebody who's been there and did that successfully. And Jesus did it all successfully. Even the prophets were imperfect. Moses was imperfect. Your preacher is imperfect. But Jesus Christ was perfect. And his is the example we should follow. Thirdly, Listening to Jesus is better because of what he did. While just being God's son is authoritative enough, what he did for us compounds that authority. It says he provided purification for our sins. He gave his life for us. He authored our salvation. He became the perfect lamb of God. His blood provided for our atonement. He is our savior, our Messiah, our redeemer. And if he did all that for us, don't you think that his words are important and authoritative and instructive and helpful and useful? If he did all of that for us, is he going to leave us out there hanging with no instruction, no direction in our lives? No. He loves us too much for that. And his words are important for us. The prophets couldn't do what Jesus did. Moses couldn't do what Jesus did. Your preacher can't do what Jesus did. Your best friend couldn't do what Jesus did. I was studying fairly recently with a very young girl who was thinking about being baptized and had questions about being baptized. And, and she was, you know, like I said, very young. And that's always a hard, you know, 
hard thing to kind of kind of deal with. But we were talking and we talked about a whole bunch of different things and, you know, sin and forgiveness and, you know, and all these different things. And and uh, I asked her, you know, if she understood the importance of Jesus dying for our sins. Why could Jesus die for our sins? You know, what what made him special? That he could die for our sins. And it was one of those questions that my, my high school kids and junior high kids, they know sometimes I'll ask a question and I don't ask it in order to get the answer I wanted. <laughs> you know, so I keep asking. So I finally got around to it. And finally she said, well, Jesus didn't have any sin. Okay. I said, well, why couldn't mommy die for your sins? Well, because mommy has her own sins. And for a little, I can't remember, seven, eight-year-old girl to be in the preacher's office. I said, well, why couldn't I die for your sins? Because you have your own sins. Pretty bold and brave to tell the preacher, isn't it? Pretty spot on. The prophets were good. Moses was good. But they didn't come close to doing for us what Jesus did for us. And because of that, we need to listen to what he has to say. So, real quickly, are we listening to Jesus? One way we know we're listening to him is because we can recognize his voice. We can recognize what he has to say. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about the great shepherd. And he says, the sheep know his voice. They follow me because they know my voice. Those of you with children, you know that your children can pick your voice out of all the other crowds. It also works the other way, doesn't it? Some of you will remember, you know, right after Peyton was born. You know, your babies cry in church. It doesn't distract me. It may distract people around you, but it, you know, babies can cry all they want to. That's really not going to distract me. But some of you remember not long after Peyton was born and I'm standing up here and Peyton lets out this cry. And I was like, whoa. Nothing like calling attention to a brand new mother with her child. (laughs) Brittany still doesn't forgive me. I said, wow. I didn't even know she could cry that loud. (laughs) But even as a grandchild, I could pick it out. I knew knew exactly whose cry that was. We need to know God's voice and we need to listen to him. We need to know his voice above the other noise. That means we need to study, study, study God's word. Read, read, read God's word. Maybe in short chunks. Maybe to start, we talked about this before, the Sermon on the Mount. Ah, you know, I'm obsessed with the Sermon on the Mount. But we just read that every day, every day. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't really talk about salvation and how we're saved, but it talks about how we ought to live our lives. How we ought to live our lives. Read it over and over again. And secondly, besides recognizing his voice, we do what he says. Matthew 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you know, 
Those people who hear my words and put them into practice are like the man who built his house on the rock. And the winds came and the rains came, the floods came and beat upon the house and the house stood firm because it was built on the rock. Now, I think sometimes we miss that, the point of that parable, the point of that story. Because most of us think, well, maybe not most of you, maybe you people, well, you are smarter than I am. But a lot of times I would get the idea, well, the rock is Jesus. I need to build my house on the rock, build my house on Jesus. And there's other parts of the Bible, that, but that's not what Jesus said. He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. That's the rock in that story. The rock is doing what Jesus said. The rock is knowing what Jesus said. The rock is being firmly planted on God's word. Because then when the storms come and the winds and the rains and the flood, I'm going to be grounded in God's word. And I'm going to be able to make it through those difficult times. What makes you confident in something? Knowing you have the truth. We can be encouraged to hang on. We can be encouraged to go on because what we have from Jesus is even superior to the prophets. Because he's God's own son. Because he didn't just tell us how to live. He showed us how to live. And so we need to have that in our lives. If there's any way that we can help or encourage you this morning. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson. You have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding. Find a closer relationship with God and his son Jesus Christ. Our living savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.